This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. All right, so here we are. We are doing another weekly wrap-up. We normally do a financial, a Friday financial wrap-up. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing well, man. I, again, right, real life happens. And what I take from these folks is, yes, we intend to do these on Fridays, but even if life you know, happens and you were at a wonderful mastermind on Friday, we still make it happen, right? It's still important to do the work. Uh, and that is something people hopefully see on my channel as I do the work, right? We got the daily show at 7.30. I just realized I've been sharing my goals weekly for 18 months. Uh, so yeah, we, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to make this happen every week. I love it. I love it. So why don't we get right into it? Let's mm-hmm. talk about, there was an interesting, a new indicator I had never heard of called yeah. PCE, the personal consumption expenditure. Mm-hmm. What happened? What happened in the last week with that? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting metric. It is one that the Federal Reserve, so Jerome Powell, uh, it is the Federal Reserve's kind of favorite inflation indicator, which I think is really comical, right? I am an econ major, MBA, all of that fun stuff. And the talking heads on TV my entire adult life have been talking about either CPI, Consumer Price Index, which we know from a month ago was about 6%, or, or actually, I think it was 4%. Or they talk about PPI, which is producer price index, right? Consumer price index is at the end. Producer is kind of at the beginning. Both of those were running hot. But what you learn from the PCE indicator uh, and the fact that it's the favorite Federal Reserve indicators, they kind of ignore the others and they looked at the PCE. So we got that number on Friday uh, and it was 3.1 or maybe 3.2% well above 2%, uh, right? They, they think 2% is the number they like. It was well above. Uh, again, like I said with PPI and CPI weeks ago, it's kind of a single data point, nothing to be too concerned on yet. Uh, it was a number that was comparing to last year, which if we remember last year, we were basically shut down. So while the headline number 3.1, 3.2 is more than I think we would like, it's not... Nothing to be overly concerned about, but let's wait for next month and then the month after. And if we string together three months of PCE north of 3%, we might really have a problem. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And I think I think we're gonna, it definitely feels like inflation is running. We'll talk more about that. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about, there's more states with the stimulus, the $300 bonus unemployment like what 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 have you seen in the last week there yeah it's pretty amazing right so just about a month ago um i had one of my worst calls meaning i was looking for 1.5 million jobs created in the month of april and you know what happened is it was vastly under it was like 236 or 266,000 just a spectacular miss by like 85% Shortly thereafter, I think it was less than a week after Montana, who at the time, I think their unemployment rate was something like 3.4%. Uh, 
they basically came out and said, enough's enough. We are no longer going to accept or want the $300 federal goose up for $300, right? And you kind of understood where they're at, right? They have unemployment at 3.4%. They need like every, you know, everybody to go after it, right? So they're definitely, you know, kind of a state with healthy employment. But what we've seen over the last two weeks, maybe it's been two and a half weeks since Montana, is now we're up to 24 states that are saying, no, thank you, you keep it. So what we're going to have is we're going to have about a roughly 50% of the states, roughly, uh, kind of turn off in June. And we're going to see what happens because there's been a lot of debate. Is the federal extras keeping people on the couch? Mm -hmm. Is it something else? Is it this? Is it that? Uh, where we're going to start figuring out pretty quickly um, what's going on because, uh, yeah, they're, they're turning it off. Uh, they're turning it off early. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that I've noticed in the last week, um, different uh, bar and grill, restaurants, things like that, they are desperate for employees. Yeah, I mean, every, every restaurant that I go to, uh, right in the front window, it's, it's not even a little sign anymore. Now it's like a big, you know, three feet by four feet. We're hiring excellent wages, tips. They're, they are desperate. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting too. I thought it was pretty creative. One place, you know, you have the your phone and you'll get the QR code for the menu yeah. and it'll blow up. And what they did is they actually had a landing page. And the first thing that came up on the QR code wasn't the menu. It was help wanted. Oh, blah, nice. blah, blah. like I thought it was creative. Yeah. I was like, these guys are smart. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's going to be interesting to figure out what happened. Because again, when, when I think about New York and San Francisco, really New York, I'm like, you know, basically we turned off the service sector there. What happened, what, what clearly happened is a lot of people kind of dispersed, right? They went home, right? Instead of living with three roommates in a one bedroom, they just moved in with mom and dad. Now New York is opening up, Broadway is opening up. The New York um, Madison Square Garden was at full capacity for a basketball game the other day. Yep. But now they're looking to hire people in all those restaurants. I have some friends out there who own restaurants and they're like, shit. We can't, we, we, we can have, we're lucky to fill one shift. And I'm wondering it's because those people haven't come back yet. Will they come back? Uh, it, it's it's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens. Absolutely. It was interesting too, because I traveled and um, a part of in the travel was I was catching Ubers oh. and I noticed the wait times for the Uber was, you know, it wasn't a five minute, eight minute, it was like 18 minutes that might've even turned into 25 minutes. Oh, wow. And so, you know, it's interesting that it feels like demand is picking up. And so the, that sector, we need more employees. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And again, uh, I think we were at 6.1% unemployment. We get a big employment number on Friday. That'll be the big number of the week. Uh, it'll be interesting, right? Because again, a lot of what we've seen, uh, still, it's a very K-shaped recovery. We're kind of coming out of that, but still, there's a lot of women who have unfortunately kind of had to stay home because the childcare has been missing. Schools have been shut down. Daycares have been shut down. You know, there's a lot of that, you know, engine that's not really firing yet. So we've got to pick that up. Absolutely. So in picking that up, let's talk a little bit about inflation, something we seems to be a topic. And then even with wage inflation. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, first off, I think wage inflation is going to be the story of 2021. I think what we're seeing right now is the power, and it, it needs to be there. The power is at the employee. 
you know, for too many of the decades of my adult life, the CEOs, right, the owners were making all the money. And, you know, the, the delta between the CEO and the average line worker was too, too large, got too big, was not okay. Uh, what we're seeing now is, is, is the pendulum swing, and it's definitely going back to the, to the employee, which is awesome. Uh, we are seeing wage inflation without question. I think it will be sticky. I think it's a good thing. Uh, it will raise, you know, you know, maybe the living wage will become a thing uh, in more and more of the country, which is a good thing. Uh, there will be some, there'll be some downside. I mean, you, you know, most, most companies will have to raise prices, at least on some level. Um, if you are, uh, you know, in a sector that there's a lot of services like construction, right, the trades, uh, the labor, right? You not only have commodity inflation, but they have wage inflation and wage and, and scarcity now, right? There's not enough people in the trades for, for the demand that's going on. So lots of inflation going on. Uh, there's clearly transitory inflation, right? With these chips and automobiles and now computers and phones. Uh, but you also have freight and shipping, right? These shipping containers that we see. Uh, I think last week we talked about it was like 3,700 bucks. Now it's 10 grand just to ship it. Wow. So it is, um, it's interesting. And again, this is likely going to go on for years because what we're seeing in the worldwide economy is North America, specifically the US is coming out of this kind of second, right? You can argue that China was first, uh, but you got to, you know, do you believe the China numbers? I'm not a particular believer of China. I think they lie all the time. So let's just say they were first. Now, North America, US is second. And then you're going to have Europe, maybe third, maybe, you know, rest of world fourth. It's, it's, we're all going to come out of this, but that just means pricing pressure, shipping pressure, commodity pressure for quarters to come. Uh, so I think, I, you know, I, I don't know what the definition of transitory is. I don't know how long that is. That's, that's Jerome Powell's favorite word. I mean, could transitory be two years? I, I don't think so, but, you know, I think he's, you know, Harvard educated or whatever he is. So, so maybe he knows the definition that I don't. Okay. Well, I appreciate you talking about it. It's something we want to keep our eye on for sure. For sure. Let, yeah. Let's talk about also too, just the increased inventory in specifically in single family houses. I'm seeing it in my local markets. You're talking to students. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So one of my biggest claims right now going on is that we're going to have 2 million uh, available homes for sale by the end of July. So July 31st, uh, we had a number come out. I think it was Tuesday. It might've been Wednesday. Uh, and a lot of people frankly talked about the wrong piece and that was pending home sales, right? People came out and said, Oh my God, pending home sales down 4.4% or something prices up 12%. Oh my God, the world is falling apart. Where in reality, if you go all the way down to the bottom of the report, it was like the last paragraph. Uh, available homes for sale up 10.6%, right? It went from a million, just over a million to 1.56. What have we been crying for, for 14 months? Inventory. I've been telling you for a couple of months now that people are creatures. They, they go in packs. And what's happening right now is there's a lot of people sitting around their kitchen table or on their couch going, honey, our house is too old. Our house is too small. Our house is in the wrong part of town. Um, you know, we need to move. We need bigger, better, cheaper, whatever. And there's a, there's a lot of people coming out. What's going to happen is they're going to come out because they believe everybody they're hearing on TV. They're going to come out with what I call stupid prices. 
you know, if it's supposed to be a 200 house, they're going to list it at two and a quarter. Uh, what will happen in this market is some of them will sell, right? The prettiest, the cleanest will sell at two and a quarter. That's just the market yep. we're in. But what will happen is more and more homes will sit at two and a quarter and it'll sit and it'll sit and it'll sit. And then days of inventory will go up and then you'll see price drops. That 225 that should have been 200 will go to 215. Maybe some sell, maybe some don't. So what we're seeing right now is inventory creep up. 1.16 is uh, more than a million. So we're on the right direction. Uh, and I think there's a lot of homes coming uh, in the next two months. And that is a good thing for investors. It's a good thing for homeowners yeah. uh, because rates are gonna be low for the next couple of months without question. Uh, what is gonna happen is we're gonna see inventory. And what we are gonna see if you're doing the work is quality differences. The best, the cleanest, the you know, the park place and boardwalk to steal a, a monopoly analogy, they will still sell. But that's a whole lot of other monopoly board pieces that'll just sit there because they're mispriced or they're not quite on the right side or, oh my God, do they still have the green and yellow tile from the seventies? You know, they'll, they'll just be stuff sitting and we get to pick up stuff uh, for better prices uh, and better deals. So I'm excited. I love it. And I have to like completely agree with you on the excitement that the fact that we are going to get an increase in inventory just means more opportunity for our audience, which is yeah. real estate professionals, right? Wholesalers, fix and flip, realtors, even lenders. It just means that there's going to be a lot more opportunity. And like you said, I love like what you said is that, yes, the clean inventory the stuff that's newly renovated makes sense that it's getting multiple offers mm -hmm. and a huge push on price demand. Sure. But that the average and mediocre inventory or the stuff that's dated, it makes sense that that stuff's going to be slow. It's not going to be like it's been the last yeah. nine months. Right? Folks, the junk, junk is not supposed to sell at retail prices. And at least in my market for about six months, junk right. sold for retail prices. I've never seen that. In my 20 years of doing that, that's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to get a deal on junk and we haven't for the last six months. And I think that's about to change. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So let's talk about home builders. Like we, we mentioned it last week. I think we just kind of, I think, bring it back again. What's going on with home builders? Yeah, I think last week we talked about home builders because we saw kind of single family home starts fall and what they were doing because they had so many inflation is they were just doing the pads and stopping. And that was interesting because you call that a start, but they're actually not building the sticks, right? They're not framing. Um, what we're seeing now is I talk to more and more builders. I have you know, one of my experts who I actually talked to today on Monday. He's like, Michael, builders are slowing down, right? They're, they're builders actually, uh, actually, I have a video coming out, I think at four o'clock today, talking about bankruptcies in builders. Which if you're, not, if you're not in the business, you're like, how can that be? Builders have yeah. pricing pressure. They, this is the best time. Unfortunately, builders have very ugly cash flow statements, right? They may have a good balance sheet. They may have a good income statement, but every business, the most important metric is the cash flow statement. And it's very lumpy. And unfortunately, they've had to absorb, and that means expend a lot of extra dollars for windows and shingles and lumber and two by fours and many of them are starving for cash flow. And then again, if they can't pass on the price increases to the end buyer and the end buyer walks because either they don't like it or they can't qualify, which right. can happen, 
uh, they're going to be stuck. So I actually think we may see some builders go bankrupt because their cash flow statements are not very healthy right now, uh, just by given what's going on. And not to mention that labor is so expensive and scarce. And it's a really tough time to be a builder today, right? If you're, if you're doing remodels and you're like, you know, doing small stuff, totally fine, right? You buy and you, you kind of move it in a 30 day window. But if you're doing like large development and you have three, four, five months of risk and you don't have a clause where you can pass on, I think there's some builders that are going to go broke uh, because of what's going on. It's, it's painful to see. I, it's interesting. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but even as you say that and talk about the scarce, uh, um, the job market that, you know, even with immigration, if we look at what, what's happened with immigration, you know, with our South of the border mm -hmm. construction people and not only that, but even too, for me being around a long time, I know a lot of guys that have just got sick and tired of, the economy and the immigration and have gone back home yeah. south of the border and said, you know what? And they've made enough to where they can live comfortably. Yeah. They're like, dude, so, cool with me. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper yeah. over there. <laughs> right. And I'm going to go back home and I've got my ranch and my family's all there. So it's interesting. We'll, it, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on home builders. So last thing I want to talk to you about is um, a very interesting conversation. And I thought something I had not thought about yeah. Let's talk about Wall Street and Wall Street's participation in single family. I think you had a great distinction there. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of opinions. And the thinking was, hey, Wall Street came in, they proved the model that worked, they got 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 single family homes for ridiculous prices. You know, the idea or the question always is, when is Wall Street going to ring the register? And by ring the register, that means sell these off, right? They, they bought them onesie twosie when they're going to sell them off. And I had a great conversation with one of the kind of, um, I call him uh, real estate royalty, Aaron Norris from the Norris Group. Um, now with Property Radar, in fairness, uh, I know him and, and Bruce Norris from, and um, they're basically, he's basically like Michael. When Wall Street buys an affordable rental and puts it in the portfolio, it's never coming back. Yeah. And I'm like, tell me more. He's like, Michael, yeah, they bought these things for a discount and they paid cash, but they've already put it in a portfolio in a bundle. They've already extracted all their cash and then some, and they still have a positive yield. He's like, Michael, they're never going to sell them. And oh, by the way, if they ever decide to exit a market, like they're like, Hey, we don't, I'm just going to say Phoenix just to pick on Phoenix. It could be any market. If one of these guys ever said, hey, we don't want to be in Phoenix anymore. Let's sell our 277 homes from Phoenix. They are not going to call up a real estate agent and sell them onesie twosie. They're going to call some other hedge fund and go, who's buying homes in Phoenix? We got a portfolio of 277. Who wants it? So the reason this is important is because I see Wall Street almost like Pac-Man, right? Pac-Man was a video game I played a lot as a kid. And I sort of see Wall Street being like Pac-Man and every little white dot they eat is another single family home that never comes back. And what this ultimately means for mom and pop investors, which I include myself in, which I include you in, Ty, is, God damn, if they're going to take inventory off the market. We better go get some because as inventory gets scarcer, it just kind of rises all tides. And we already know, we talked about builders can't, can't build them. It's, it's like the perfect storm for affordable single family homes. So 
start shopping and uh, do the work. Uh, go get yours because I think they're going to be a lot scarcer in four or five years. I love it. I love it. And I couldn't agree with you more. I hadn't thought about it. I actually did a lot of work for uh, Waypoint on their acquisitions mm -hmm. back in the 2010, 2012, 14 in that time and watch them take this inventory. They had several thousand, um, more than several thousand, rolled it up to Colony Homes mm -hmm. that then rolled up to Starwood. Wow. And so Starwood, the hotel operators, they actually said, hey, we want diversification. We want a single family portfolio. So it's almost like a brand new, I mean, for Wall Street, it's a brand new asset class or a different way to participate other than lending, right? Yeah. And again, let's be very clear. Wall, Wall Street is uh, nothing if not predictable. They are going to throw money at whatever produces the highest yield. And right now, without question, single family homes produce an amazing yield. And that's before appreciation. It's, dude, think about Wall Street. So I, I think it was yesterday, it might have been the day before I talked about the homeowners have earned $1.5 trillion in equity in 2020. I think it was 26,000 bucks a home. Well, do the math. If you own 10,000 homes and each one of them went up $26,000, life's pretty good. Um, yeah. So again, yes, appreciation helps you and I, but damn it, if you got 10,000 of them, you're doing okay. Yeah, that's a nice balance sheet for sure. That's a nice balance sheet. I love it. So Michael, as always, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. So again, I always have the book here. I love it. One rental at a time. If you already own a copy of it, go onto Amazon. Please give Michael a five-star review. It helps. That's part of his, like, feel, that's his impact score, right? Yep. What good is happening out in the world through this? And so many, it's interesting that, um, do you do a success stories um, with students and such? Or you? I, I do them when they ask. Yeah. I don't seek them out, but yeah, I, I've, uh, I've done a couple of interviews with students for deals. Yeah. It's fun. So I'm going to say that for anybody who's following Michael and having success, oh, reach out it. to him, message him and let's showcase and let's get your story, your testimony, and, and more importantly, inspire a lot of other people and have, you know, huge impact out there. So thank That's you awesome. so much, Michael, for all that you do. Thank you. Thanks buddy. Yep.